by you. And that your desperate desire is for our identity to be wrapped up in that and in nothing else. And so we pray today for every boy and girl who is a part of Boys and Girls Camp. We pray for every family represented. We pray that every single one of those children would come to know who they are. And we pray that would be true for every single adult in this room as well. Father, help us in these days to know whose we are. To know that you invite us to be your unique people, so radically defined by love that it becomes the very essence of our being and anything that is not love is not of you. And help us to embrace that and to live that out. And Father, in these moments, we need we need your presence. These words that we have sung, Holy Spirit, we be present. We know there's something, something unique about the way you work in the world, that you are present with us, that your spirit is real. And you invite us to know you. And even as some of us today are not sure what we think about you or whether we believe in a God at all, but may it be that your people, may we live in such a way that by our very lives we help erase doubt. So, Father, we pray for your wisdom to be present here among us. We pray that you would speak to us today, that we'd hear your voice, that you, you would somehow speak and not even I. And so, Father, we thank you in these moments that you call us to be your unique people, people full of faith, hope, and love. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, just a brief mention, following the service today, we will have a vote, um, and we'll be voting, and I'll talk about this a little bit before the service is over, uh, so you'll get privileged to hear a shorter sermon today, which you probably love. Um, we'll have a vote about merging with the Grand Haven Church of the Nazarene, and so if you're a guest with us, it's, we don't do this every week. Uh, in fact, we only have done this once, so it'll be today. Um, so we will encourage you to continue to prayerfully discern where God's leading in that, and we, we believe, uh, as church leadership, the direction of that, and so we'll talk about that in a moment. But... But I wanted to say this, who are the wisest people you know? You don't have to say them out loud, but begin thinking, who are the wisest people you know? Um, I, mean, I can think of smart people. Smart people are easy to think of. I was thinking of like Elon Musk, and maybe you've heard of Tesla. In fact, if you drive to Meyer, they have a million Tesla stations there for like no cars. Um, but, but they're ready so that someday, if there are Tesla cars at Meijer, they've got a place to charge. Um, but maybe you've noticed that there's really smart people doing incredible stuff. You've heard of Richard Branson and, and the Virgin Empire. It started with like a, a magazine, basically, and exploded into an airline and all kinds of other stuff. People who do incredible things. He's really smart in business. Or Bill Gates started Microsoft. In fact, he, he, might, he maybe should be known just as much for the... Bill and Linda Gates Foundation and the good stuff they do around the world. I mean, that might be as impressive as what he's done with Microsoft. Or we could talk about Albert Einstein, if we want to go back a little bit, or Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, have you heard of Mensa? Like, it's for the people with really high IQs. I'm still waiting on my invitation. Maybe you are as well. Um, they haven't sent me an invitation yet. I, I, it maybe is lost in the mail. Um, or it's probably never coming, but that's probably more likely. In fact, we, we find there's all kinds of people in unique fields because intelligence runs to different kind of avenues and fields. So there's Mozart and Beethoven were incredibly, incredibly intelligent when it comes to music. We still play and listen to their stuff today. 
we talk about sports, we might talk about Nick Saban. I know you probably don't like him, but that's okay. Or Tom Izzo, maybe even John Beeline a little bit, but probably not Jim Harbaugh. No, um, <laughs> not yet anyway. Um, right? We, we recognize there's a level of intelligence in all kinds of things. And see, people can be smart in really unique ways, but smart is not the same as wise. Intelligence does not equal wisdom. In fact, a friend of mine has a has a sister-in-law who is like one of the top research psychologists in the country. I mean, I mean gets paid well into the six figures because they are, they are one of the top few in their field. But in fact, this person had to borrow money from their father-in-law to pay some bills. I mean, like it doesn't make sense. I mean, we, intelligence doesn't equal wisdom, but I will say this, you have to have some intelligence to have wisdom. Smart doesn't equal wise. But what's what sets not only smart people, but what sets people apart with wisdom? Wisdom does require intelligence. There's no way around that. In fact, I I would argue that true wisdom requires what we'll call EQ or emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is as important for our wisdom as intellectual intelligence. Our emotional level of intelligence really does matter. But, but if that's true, what helps us have emotional intelligence? What brings us to the place where our, our IQ and our EQ, if you will, what, what brings it to those get an increase? And so here's what we'd say. It's our spiritual quotient. It'd be a part of that. But also I would say this. Did you know that wise people know their identity? They know who they are. In fact, what... What's one trait that is often overlooked when it comes to wisdom is a trait that even business journals, Harvard Review and others, have begun to recognize is a particular trait that leads to high-impact, highly effective leaders. It's a trait that often we don't talk about enough. In fact, the business world has begun embracing in ways that maybe the church world should recognize that we thought of it first and we should do a better job of this. But this one trait that isn't based on abilities or competencies, this one trait is more significant in terms of effective leadership or effective life than anything. Humility. Humility. The business world has embraced it because they recognize, hey, that's, that's, humble leaders seem to be more effective leaders. Humble people are fun to be around. Humility really is a life-changing thing. I mean, we've all been around people who aren't humble, right? They tell you how awesome they are. In fact, we've developed a cultural phrase called humble brag. Have you heard of a humble brag? Like you see them on like Twitter, Instagram, or kinds of things. Those are the best places to find humble brags. I Googled humble brag. Do it. It's kind of fun to read them. Um, It's like people who are named like the top 100 beautiful people in the world, you know, and they'll say, oh, they they must have messed up. (laughs) Okay. Um... Right, like we, we're just humble brag. Like I'm not, I'm not really that good. Okay, I am, but 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 I'm not really. So I, I was trying to think of a, a, a real life humble brag for you. And so I have one for you. Um, I played golf on Friday and I had an eagle on a hole. Um, that would be the humble brag, right? Just now, here's the the other humble brag. I got an eight on the next hole. That's not good, by the way. That was four over par. So, like, that's a humble brag, like, and then it's followed by reality. So, like, that was, I brought, came back to reality really quickly. Um, so, here's the way life works. Humility people, humble people, they're fun to be around. People who are full of themselves are not really as much fun to be around. 
truth is, the people who are the least humble probably know who they are the least. Because often we portray arrogance or self-confidence as a way of masking that we don't really know who we are. But what if there's a way for us to embrace humility? What if embracing humility is really embracing wisdom? And what if that wisdom brings us life? What if that wisdom leads us to impacting the world around us in pretty incredible ways? In fact, that's what we want to talk about just for a few minutes this morning. We've been looking at this book of James, written by James, the guy who is the brother of Jesus. And if you're a guest with us today and you're not sure where you stand in your faith, I mean, one of the things that I might say today is James, the brother of Jesus, went from saying to his brother, would you just stop talking? Like, you don't know what you're talking about? You talk about God like you know him? I know who your mom and dad are. And Jesus is like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Joseph's kind of like my adopted father, but, but my real father is, is God. I know it's this weird kind of story, and James is like, Jesus, you're full of it. I mean, like, this is what we see in the scriptures. And then James shifts so much so that he says to his brother, I know where you're from. I know who you are. He goes, I was wrong. Like, I, my own brother is the very son of God. Like, I mean, if you don't want to believe in, in God for anything or not sure about Jesus, this probably is the thing that would push me over the edge. My brother was here this weekend, and, and I'm telling you right now, he's not praying to me. <laughs> I know that. And James does. James's identity went from being wrapped up in whatever else to wrapped up in who his own brother was, because his brother really was the Son of God. And the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus changed the very life of James. So James begins to tell this to others. And he wants us to have a new identity and a new understanding of what wisdom looks like. And so we're going to read that this morning from James chapter 3. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read from James chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 18. And as I just mentioned, this is James, the brother of Jesus. And he writes these words to people who were followers of his brother about how to live. And here's what he says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So James tries really quickly here to separate two different views of wisdom. He says there are two ways to see wisdom. One um, is defined by this, a good life and deeds done in humility. And he says there's a second wisdom, or really he's saying it's a fake wisdom, which is driven by envy and selfish ambition. Now, if we're honest, if we really reflect for a second, most of us have responded far too often in life out of selfish ambition or envy or out of our own desires. It doesn't take more than a second to realize that's probably true. And if you don't think it's true, I'm going to teach you another word. Humility? No. Um, like I said earlier, if you're not so sure about Jesus, you can ignore a lot of this, but there'll probably be some good snippets to think about in terms of wisdom, in terms of life. Um, 
And so he talks about the wrong kinds of wisdom, and we'll talk about those first before we talk about kind of the right kinds. He, he says this, it's, it's earthly. In other words, um, it has the ends in mind of, of what's best for me. How is this going to benefit my life above others? That, that's, that's the wrong kind of wisdom. What about me in this? It lacks spiritual awareness. I mean, it doesn't think about what does God really desire. It's, it's about me still. It's about the self over the other. I mean, we, there's a central theme when we recognize the lack of wisdom. It's really centered around selfishness. And this last one, it drives people apart. Its long-term aim will not bring unity. It will bring division. So what is good wisdom? What is great wisdom? It brings people together. It cares about the other over the self. Great wisdom, great humility. It helps people come into right relationship with God and right relationship with others. That's, that's what humility does. So wisdom is ready to listen. It's ready to obey. It's full of mercy. I see, mercy in this way says that I will give you what you don't even deserve. Like that's the kind of mercy that God invites us to. Not, so, so in other words, we, we then care about the imprisoned. We care about those who have been, who've done wrong. We give them mercy, not because they've earned it, but because God calls us to it. Even when it's their fault. I mean, what does wisdom look like? It means living without hypocrisy. It means learning to say, like, hey, I screwed up. Don't, don't hide it. It means embracing the broken parts of us and saying, I, I'm broken here, but I believe in a God who restores and heals me. Instead of, instead of making one of the phrases we often will hear about churches, well, churches are not museums. They're not country clubs. And sometimes they look like that, and that is the epitome of what it shouldn't be. But they should be hospitals for the broken, for the wounded, for those who need love. And sometimes we project things that are other than that. We, we make it about outward things instead of inward transformation. And when we do that, we just miss, we miss wisdom and we don't have any humility. We buy our lives in, push people away, not invite them in, which is which is the opposite of the wrong kind of wisdom, the evil kind of wisdom, if you will. But why is living with humility so hard? Why is it so hard? Because we're really good at embracing bitter jealousy and contention. In fact, we get really good at cynicism. Have you noticed this culturally? We're really good at being cynical. In fact, we're so good at it, we can point out all the flaws in everything you say or they do, whoever they is, we are good at pointing out their flaws. We can be cynical with the best of them. But cynicism leads to destruction and devastation if there's no unity in it in the end. In fact, that's why the saying goes, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, right? Let's stop trying to just talk about what's bad. Let's bring about hope and redemption in new kind of ways that bring about real change and transformation. That's really what it's saying. And so here is the key to this whole passage. It's verse 17, which says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Did you catch those words? Pure, peace-loving, 
considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now I want to contrast that with verse 16, which said this. Verse 16 says, For you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil of practice. Now if I told you you had to meet someone and they were more defined by verse 16 or verse 17, who would you rather meet? Like it's verse 17, I'll just give you the answer, right? So why don't we live that way? Why don't we embrace those characteristics and allow our cynicism, our critical spirits to be pushed away? Why don't we learn to embrace humility and love? What then should we do? Deeds done in humility are the essence of wisdom. A lot of humility. So what does that look like? So it's my opportunity this morning just to take a second. I, um, it was five years ago this weekend. I came up here and visited for the, the second time. Um, I came on a Sunday. Um, I don't know if it was this one or the last one. I'd, I'd have to go look, and look at the calendar. And I came up, and it was the night before boys camp. It was the first year it happened. So this was the sixth boys camp. And they'd been praying, I, I found out, they'd been praying for 20 boys, and they had 19. Um, and so I was around for the first day and a half, and then left, and, and went to Indianapolis for the uh, denominational meeting, and then I came back a month later, moved here. Um, but I watched the boys camp, I'd never heard of a church kind of hosting their own camp, and thought that was kind of a neat idea, and, and, they, and, and come to find out, I talked to Marla, and her... She, she kind of launched this because she had this heart for, for young boys who didn't know Jesus and, and for her grandkids and wanted to create a space. A new camp was kind of expensive and thought, thought maybe I could just offer something. And so what started with 19 boys six camps ago was ended this week with over 113 kids. Um, it's pretty cool. But can I tell you that every time I talk to Marla about this, I never heard her say, well, this is... Look at, look at how good I am. <laughs> I opened up my home, invited all these people in. Never heard her husband say, hey, you know, I'm pretty good. I, all of my stuff, I let them use it. <laughs> nope, I actually heard the opposite. It's just stuff. I'm glad to share it. I, I listened to three ladies in a kitchen, uh, Denise Gunn and Deb Dutcher and Krista Panazzo, talk about how, how they took their vacation days to come cook at camp every year. A whole week of vacation just to come cook for these boys and girls? Pretty cool. Heard stories of, of Derek Churchley taking off. I mean, I know he had a son there, but he took off vacation time to come. I, I don't really, I'm like a lie, I didn't take vacation time, I just went to camp. <laughs> right, I, I watched what humility looks like lived out and embraced among a people. And so can I tell you, one of the coolest parts of that is, is I, I like I said, I don't know where you stand in terms of your faith, but we, we, we've come to believe that, that the best way of life is knowing Jesus, the one who is the giver of life, the one who helps us know our true identity. And so can I tell you that about 70% of the boys and girls who went to camp don't go to any church? I mean, some of them, their parents came here years ago, but they don't go anywhere anymore. But what if, what if through that, really five days, two and a half days for boys, two and a half days for girls. What if? What if those kids become people who know who their true identity comes from? 
What if because of the humility by those who are serving and leading? I, I didn't even talk about Pastor Holly. I hope I, hope I should have. I, I'm glad she's not here to hear I didn't. Um, when you lead with humility, others will follow. When you love well, the world can look different. I couldn't help but tearing up as I watched the video of all those kids and, and as I thought about watching them this week. And part of what I thought of was I know for some of us in this room, we yet, we still to this day, no matter your age, some, some of you, I love you, and, but you're not young and you still don't know your identity. It's in the wrong things. But what if what if we found true love exists in humility and the wisdom in knowing God? See, what we desperately recognize in the world in which we live today is the world does not need more people telling them how great they are. Go on social media, you'll find it. People will tell you how awesome they are. Some of you even do it. No, um, sorry, a little, <laughs> not a lot. But what the world desperately needs is people telling other people how great they are. You know it's so cool to watch boys and girls pick one another up this week to tell them, hey, you did really well at that. You painted your boat so great. Hey, you really fast. Hey, you're pretty good at sports. Hey, hey, what if, what if God's church began to live that way? What if instead of looking for the fault in the other, we looked for ways that we could express love and say, hey, you really are great. Because the world desperately doesn't need more people telling them how good the church is or how good others are, but they need people telling others how great they are. See, imagine if we went around with the message of boys and girls came and said, hey, do you know your real identity? I mean, don't really say that to people because that, that's going to be weird. <laughs> but what if you lived out of a humility that people wanted to go, hey, how, how do you, like you just, you're humble in the right way. Not, not humble that says, like, I think of myself I think less of myself, right? I mean, not that kind of humble that I just think I'm worthless. That's not humility. But humility is just thinking of myself less. Like, I, I, how can I think of others more? That's humility. And what if out of that comes true wisdom? What if out of that comes true love? Imagine if we knew our true identity. Imagine if we embraced true humility. Imagine the wisdom out of that. Imagine if we began to change the world. And what if we really lived like Jesus and his wisdom, in which he told us all kinds of things in the scriptures. You can go read them for yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, go read the Sermon on the Mount sometime. It's, it's pretty radical thinking. What if we begin to embrace that as a way of life? What if that defined us? What if humility and wisdom James so desperately wants us to know. James is, is saying all throughout this letter without even saying it, hey, like, I was wrong about who Jesus was. But let me tell you who he really is. And if you'll come to know him as I know him, you'll find that you can find true wisdom which comes in humility. So let's be the kind of people who look like Jesus. Let's be the kind of people who tell others how great they are. Let's just tell others how great they are. And then we'll start to look like Jesus. Father, will you help us this morning as, um, 
as we find our hope really in you alone. As Jordan comes to lead us this morning in, in Christ alone, may it be that we recognize that you call us to be humble people who know you. And may we become the kind of people who change the world around us because of our humility. May we not be the kind of people who tell others how great we are, but may we be the kind of people who embrace telling others how great they are because we know something that they may or may not know yet. We know that God loves us. We know, as Holly shared earlier, there's nothing that we can do to change our identity in you, that you love us as we are here, right now, in this moment. You love us. You desperately desire for us to be your unique children in the world and to know a Father who loves us and affirms us and calls us and embraces us and says, here's who you are. You are mine. And our true identity be wrapped up in that and in that alone and in that identity and that humility we'd find true wisdom which comes really in the words of Jesus. It's about the other first. So Father, as we sing these words, may our life be truly wrapped up in Christ alone. It's his name that we pray. Amen. And with us this morning. In Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength